Hello everyone, and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. And I am one of its, I'm still getting tripped up uh, not being able to say literary magazine for your ears. Uh, you'll know all about that if you listen to the appendix. But anyway, I'm David Walker. I'm one of the editors, and I am bringing you the April issue of 2017, uh, which unfortunately, as I had mentioned earlier, is not poetry, even though it is National Poetry Month, unfortunately. But uh, this story that we have, this nonfiction piece, is very good. So hopefully you won't mind. Hopefully you've got your fill of poetry elsewhere. And, uh, you know, you'll be all right with this. So anyway, I, I don't really want to spend a lot of time uh, talking. So we'll just get right to it. If you want to know what's going on with the magazine, just listen to the appendix issue that we put out uh, right before this one in the feed. And yeah, there you go. Uh, I'll be posting about it otherwise. But anyway, let's get to the story. Um, this is Kristen Uhlenbrock's story, Alpine Unrest. And the reason why we were really interested in this story and the reason why we're publishing it is because of how descriptive the language is, how naturalistic it is. Um, it sounds like a uh, travel essay in a way. And we just kind of fell in love with the beautiful scenery and the tension that was going on in the story. So hopefully uh, you find it uh, as thrilling as we did uh, or as interesting as we did. And uh, here it is, Kristen Uhlenbrock's Alpine Unrest. Alpine Unrest by Kristen Uhlenbrock. Ed Beasters, a world-class mountaineer, once wrote, It's a round trip. Getting to the summit is optional. Getting down is mandatory. The idea to visit Grand Teton National Park originated during Christmas. I had bought Aaron, my partner, a watercolor painting of the National Park System and told him to pick one he hadn't been to before. Six months later, he finally chose the Tetons. We set the date for early September, which worked best for our schedules and hopefully still provided a window of opportunity to do some multi-pitch rock climbing, the tail end of summer in the Wyoming mountains. After three months of planning for the trip, physically training for the climbs, and enduring the endless discussion about whether or not to bring a stove to cook hot food, we landed in Idaho Falls, about three hours away from the Tetons, on a Wednesday evening. On the drive into the park, we checked multiple weather forecasts that all said Thursday would be sunny with some high winds, but by late Friday afternoon, the snow would start. Multiple inches at the high elevations and temperatures dropping below freezing for the next four days. I grabbed our itinerary and fretfully scanned our original plan. Thursday, pick up backcountry camping permit. Day hike to acclimatize. Friday, hike to base camp. 11,000 feet in the saddle between Middle and Grand Teton. Saturday, climb Grand Teton via Owens-Spalding route. Sunday, climb Grand Teton via Upper Exum route. Descend. Scratch that, move on to Plan B. Our only chance to climb Grand Teton might be the wee hours of Friday morning, getting an alpine start. And even then, we knew our window was small. This decision didn't come easily, but we weighed a stack of what-ifs against a pile of unknowns and arrived at what we thought was a sensible choice. If we wanted to climb Grand Teton, and our only way to reach the summit is by using ropes, 
gear for protection, and our carefully trained calloused fingers and toes, then we had to take this one weather opportunity. Sleep deprivation would not hold us back, and hopefully the weather would cooperate. Growing up in a family habitually late for everything, I became the teenager who showed up at school 30 minutes early, planned my life out weeks in advance, and called my mom to pick me up an hour before cross-country practice was over, knowing she would still show up late. Frustration with carefully laid plans blowing up in my face often brought me to tears. These traits have stalked me into adulthood. Lucky for me, I have found my equal. Aaron is as much as a planner as I am, which is why every detail for this trip was meticulously mapped out. We learned that being efficient and prepared in the mountains allows us to enjoy the experience more. So we weigh every piece of gear down to the gram, cutting out tags from our clothing to further save weight, and study our routes by gathering as much information as we can find. Yet for all of our planning, it's the uncontrollable that worries us the most. Under Aaron's restless guidance, we decided that for Plan B to work, we needed to arrive at the ranger station before dawn on Thursday to obtain a backcountry camping permit. This way we could be on the trail as soon as possible to make it to base camp before dark. I tried to negotiate a few more hours of sleep, but he wasn't game. As a prudent architect of our travel planning, he would not allow our Plan B to be wrecked by the however unlikely event that we couldn't procure a permit to camp when the ranger station opened. Beat the crowds, he said. In many popular national parks, management limits the number of backcountry camping permits to help protect an area from overuse and prevent overcrowding. In the Tetons, where major search and rescue efforts hover around 20 per year, the rangers have their work cut out for them. One week before we arrived, two women had fell to their deaths. With winter weather approaching, we knew climbers might flock to the mountains since this could be the last climbing weekend of the season. A season we hoped wouldn't end without us getting at least one day, if not two, of climbing in. By the time we pulled up in the rental car at the climber's ranch inside the park, a collection of small wooden shacks with bunks like summer camp, but filled with adults who snore and smell, it was past midnight, and our weary minds and bodies wanted nothing more than sleep. Our headlamps cut through the darkness as we unpacked our sleeping bags. Trying not to wake the three others already in the hut was almost impossible because it sounded as if we were eating a bag of popcorn in a movie theater. There was no way to get ready quietly. Settling in, the worry of weather lingered on my mind. I tossed and turned. More popcorn eating. At four o'clock in the morning, Aaron's alarm ricocheted off the wooden walls, causing him to shoot upright, slamming his head into an exposed beam near the top bunk. If the ruckus the night before didn't wake the others in the hut, we surely did now, providing us with inner grief as we stumbled around. With half-swollen eyes and unbrushed teeth, we dragged ourselves to the car. The instant I stepped outside, stillness stopped me in my tracks. The hurriedness and stress melted away. My eyes and mind absorbed the darkness. Millions of stars reached from the edge of eternity and back. Brisk, fresh air filled my lungs. Moonlight painted the sawtooth range in a silvery shadow. Moments like this cause a beautiful ache to release inside my chest, like when an infant squeezes your finger and smiles directly at you. The mountains, the sky, nature fills me with awe. 
This is why we come to the mountains. 4,000 vertical feet, eight miles of hiking, and six hours after we picked up our permit from the ranger station, we finally reached the top of the Talos Field between Middle and Grand Teton, our base camp for the next two days of climbing. Our journey past steep gullies, yellow wildflowers, and glacial waterfalls, squeaky pikas, fluffy marmots, and guided climbers became a world washed away by determination and a strenuous trek. Surrounded by boulders the size of VW vans, daunting walls of dusty gray, metamorphic, and igneous rock hovered over us and hangled into the slate sky. The temperature was easily 30 degrees colder than when we started, and the sun had just disappeared behind the ridge. I started to regret my selection to save weight by bringing my 30-degree sleeping bag. Dropping my pack, I pulled on all of my layers, wool, synthetic, down, to keep in the heat, and stuck my balled-up raincoat into my pocket as I stared at the menacing clouds moving in from the southwest, the winds picking up speed, whipping stray hairs around my face. We spied a semi-flat space for our small two-person tent and began rolling boulders around the edge to create a miniature fort wall. Strategically, we assembled the tent, never letting go, using rocks to help hold corners in place as winds gusted upwards of 30, 40, almost 50 miles per hour. The last yet essential step was guying out the lines and securing the tent to the barricade. I'll go make water back by that glacial melt we just passed, Aaron said to me as he grabbed the filter. Perfect, I'll unpack and organize our spot, I responded. One of my favorite parts of our trips is how easy it has become to divide and conquer tasks, both trusting the other. When you have a partner to rely on, from the casual nature of doing the dishes to the stricter circumstances that can result in life or death, your relationship begins to transcend the customary into a bond that runs deeper than the bedrock of the 11,000-foot mountain you are standing on. With the last sleeping bag unfolded, I pulled out dinner of sliced sopressata, a block of white cheddar cheese, and a chocolate bar with sea salt. Aaron returned with our hydration, and we hunted around for the best resting rock. Flat on top, seats two, and just the right height so our knees are not up to our chins. Sweat from the trek up cooled and chilled my skin. We huddled together and enjoyed our meal as much as we would a spread of small plates from one of Jose Andreas's newest restaurants. Staring into the gully floor, shrouded by towering mountains on three sides, we didn't speak. Anxiousness replaced the concentration used to build camp as we watched the sky begin to veil itself with deep, gray, low-hanging clouds. Our breathing was still a little shallow, our bodies yet to acclimatize. Holding a cold, foiled-wrapped chocolate bar in my gloved hands, the wind grew as loud as a jumbo jet coming to a stop on a runway. Hard drops of frozen water about the size of peanuts whacked my cheeks, stinging like bees. Hail. Damn it, I thought to myself, this better just be a passing storm. Aaron and I hastily wrapped up our remaining food, used the icy water from our supply to brush our teeth and rinse our hands, and placed anything that smelled in a bear container that we wedged into a pile of boulders 50 feet from our campsite. As we hustled into our tent and sleeping bags, somberness settled on us, a stark contrast to the circus stirring outside. It was five o'clock in the evening. It could have been 10 minutes. It could have been two hours. Time slipped into a void. Winds ricocheted off the cliffs, 
sending an amplified thrum through the tent walls that narrowed my wandering mind into a tunnel lined with closed doors. I carefully opened each one, letting the possibilities flood my mind, weighing the risks and outcomes, trying to make sense of all of the unknowns. What are you thinking? Aaron broke the silence. I rolled my mummified body onto my side to look at him. He did the same. I talked through all the scenarios that were rumbling around in my mind. What if the weather got worse? What if our tent shredded from the gale force winds? Would we walk down the mountain in pitch black? What if the weather stopped? Should we try to climb the route we had planned? What if we made it to the second pitch of the route, which curves into the north side of the mountain and found it covered in ice? Down climbing would be more dangerous. So how would we escape? He interjected with his thoughts and ideas. I appreciate that we often see eye to eye when it comes to the level of risk we are willing to take. We agreed to not make a decision until later, hoping the dreadful atmospheric monstrosity moved along. 10 o'clock at night. I had drifted in and out of restless sleep for the past couple of hours as a nylon tent swished and slapped in the tempest. Rain, interspersed with hail and thunder, was worrisome, but it was the incessant winds sounding like a freight train that kept tension in my throat. Gusts so strong the sides of the tent were pressing down on us, and the aluminum poles were bending under the pressure. All of a sudden, the rain fly broke away from the rocks and began thrashing around as if someone was drowning. It felt as if only seconds before our shelter would rip into pieces. Aaron leapt up and found more than one of the lines had come undone. He fought through sideways wind and sleet, accidentally smashing his finger under a rock. Hanging halfway out of the vestibule on my side, I wrestled with the wild bronco, blooding my knuckles on the sharp, rough stones, feeling the cord slice into my fingers. Somehow, we were able to re-secure our lines. Let's turn off the alarm, I shouted over the vociferous sound of the storm as Aaron settled back into his sleeping bag. He readily agreed. A look of exhaustion encompassed his red-rimmed eyes. We resigned to the fact that the weather didn't seem to be relinquishing, and by now, there would be a dangerous layer of ice on the mountain. Waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning to try to climb Grand Teton turned into a dream whisked away by the storm. Dawn, but clearness and calm. A tranquility that always seems to follow a storm. Amber streaks crested over the ridge, creating an ombre effect on the west-facing cliffs. Knees hugged into my chest. I sat on a rock facing our tangerine tent, letting the warmth of sleep linger under my layers. The tip of my nose felt cold like the stones that surrounded me. Icy gusts intermittently broke the quiet. Grand Teton, with its arced point resembling a wave about to crest, glistened in a fresh layer of snow and ice. The moment felt surreal. All the prep, all the hard work, all the stress of dealing with weather, uncertainty, and crushed dreams were caught in the spindrift of the mountain I wouldn't be climbing. Aaron came to sit beside me, and we watched another group of climbers clamber out of their tents a couple hundred feet away. It appeared they, too, decided to abandon trying to climb the mountain. Somehow this reassured us about the wisdom of our decision, but didn't lessen the disappointment. I thought that storm was not supposed to come until later today, he murmured to me, 
but really no one in particular. A statement, a question, and an annoyance rolled all into one sentence. We picked up our tent, climbing gear, and bear canister, filled with enough food for another two days of climbing in case we had lucked out, and swung our 30-pound packs onto our sore shoulders and backs, ready to retrace our steps from the day before. One last look at the peak from our hard-earned vantage point left me with the desire to return and try again. Somehow it took us as long to descend the mountain as it did to ascend. I chalk that up to aging knees and a relaxed schedule born of having nothing to do but enjoy being outside. By the time we reached the valley floor, the sun had warmed the air to a Goldilocks temperature. After dropping our bags and stripping down a few layers, we each grabbed a book and a snack and made our way to Jenny Lake. As we walked along the shore of this glistening 1,200-acre mirror, I searched the speckled beach for the perfect set of stones for us to sit in front of and lean our backs against. Aaron and I were already strategizing our plans for the next two days. Climb Q Point on Saturday, a peak at lower altitude that looked clear of snow and ice, and then leave the park and drive an hour up the road to visit Yellowstone on Sunday. I left Aaron to his book for some time, rolled up my pants, took off my muddy hiking shoes and wool socks, and waded into the brisk waters. It chilled my bones, yet made me feel alive. My feet were thankful. I stared across the lake to Cube Point and at the ferry boats shrinking into pinpricks as they docked at the base of Cascade Canyon. Excitement about our new climbing objective crept up inside of me, as if a kid on Christmas morning. To my left, Tuyanot Mountain engulfed my view of Grand Teton as the minutes seemed to be turning into days and into distant memories of our failed attempt of that iconic peak. I calmly turned my attention back to Cue Point and struggled to suppress expectations that could leave me crestfallen if the next day's plans didn't work out. Mother Nature could have something else in store for us, something the weatherman doesn't know. When I sat down to write Alpine Unrest, I wanted to take parts of adventure travel writing with an essay to create a strong sense of place while also trying to understand both my relationship with nature as well as my relationship with my partner in the face of uncertainty. I think uncertainty is one of the biggest challenges that my partner and I deal with when going on an adventure or being outside. Often what many people, including myself, do when faced with uncertainty is to try to control situations. And in this story, I wanted to show the tension between uncertainty and control. I tried to do this by showing how my partner and I would try to control the situation, either by planning and decision making, while dealing with the often tumultuous tendency of Mother Nature. But I also wanted to use nature as a constant to show that nature could also be seen as stable. For example, I wanted the reader to elicit a, some sort of type of grounding and certainty by being in tune with these surroundings, which is where I would often contrast the descriptions of the mountains and the rocks and the sky while positioning those moments in times of uncertainty. Ultimately, my goal was to transport the reader into a tense moment in nature, but have them coming out of the scene, exhaling and wanting more. 
and I hope you enjoyed the reading. Thank you for listening to this issue of Golden Walkman Magazine. I'm one of the editors, David Walker. Uh, other editor is Joey Gould. Our social media coordinator is Chris Grillo. And um, please go on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Leave a review, rate us. It helps a lot, I'm told. So uh, go on there, do the social media stuff. We have Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook all that other stuff. Um, on our website, we have this community thing now, uh, forums where you can post and talk uh, to other people interested in this. Uh, also on our website, find out how to become a contributor by going to our submissions page. Listen to other issues. There's so much that you can do with Golden Walkman. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's all I got for you. So I hope you enjoyed this issue and hope to hear from you again soon.